Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Garage Logic Podcast number 98, Feb 13, 2019. 23 below on this day in 1905 and 51 degrees in 1890. Hit a button. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production. Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the Newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your Flashlight King, Fireworks Commissioner, and Keeper of Common Sense, your Mayor, Joe Souchere. We're going to be joined by an actual climate scientist, uh, a fellow named uh, Matt Fitzpatrick an ecology professor at the University of Maryland's Center for Environmental Sciences, uh, has gotten himself quite a bit of publicity today with a story that I would imagine has appeared in most uh, newspapers across the country. And uh, its essence seems to be that he has come up with a a way to make the computers uh, spin out what uh, current cities will be experiencing 60 years from now. Is that a fair assessment, Kenny, the way you read it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, right now, for example, uh, he would say, uh, oh, Raleigh, North Carolina, 60 years from now, could feel like Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, uh, he is saying Miami might uh, might as well be southern Mexico. And Des Moines, Iowa, could feel straight out of Oklahoma. We're going to be Kansas, right? Yeah, we're going to be yeah, Kansas. Yeah. And uh, and he said that's according to a study Tuesday in the journal Nature Communications that tries to explain climate change better. The children alive today, like my daughter who was 12, they're going to see a dramatic transformation of climate. It's already underway, said study lead author Matt Fitzpatrick. He's an ecology professor at the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Sciences. Uh If the world cuts back its carbon dioxide emissions, peaking around 2040, then New York's climate can stay closer to home, feeling more like Maryland, while Chicago's climate could be somewhat like Dayton, Ohio. Check out San Diego, though, Suge. It's a very strange situation. Uh, (laughs) In the Los Angeles Times version of this story, uh, we learn that the story is uh, complicated in the West— because the topography is more extreme and because factors including proximity to the ocean influence the climate. For example... Like the Calcutta Clipper. The authors report that the closest present-day equivalent to the climate of 2080 San Diego is Westmont, which lies 120 miles north of San Diego. Every other city's going south, San Diego's going north, and we're to understand that's because of mountains and oceans. It just occurred to me, though, we all consider San Diego to be one of the best Mm -hmm. climates in the United States. 76 and sunny every day. Steady. This, moving 120 miles north, will make San Diego worse. Right. (laughs) So they accomplished their goal. But... uh, 
we're going to be, I'm going to be respectful to this fellow. I called him at nine o'clock this morning and he caught him in his office and I told him who I was and, you know, and, and that I would did love you, to talk to him about this study. Did you let him know you're the great denier? No, hmm. no, because uh, I don't, I'm not a denier. You guys have known the distinction. I do not deny that the climate changes. I the deny reason. I deny what uh, Alexandria Occasional Cortex is trying to do with it. That's what I deny. Ah. In any event... Why 2080? Se- Why 2080? Well, that's a good question. Okay. Yeah, you pick 60 years. Why not 70 years? Okay. But here, there's so many questions. What I really want to learn from the guy, and, and civilly, is please explain to me, Matt... How this is science. It sounds like he invented a fun new computer game. He plugged in. Well, here's what he plugged in. Uh, He looked at 12 different variables for 540 U.S. and Canadian cities under two climate change scenarios to find out what the future might feel like in a way a regular person might understand. He averaged the climate results from 27 different computer models then found the city that most resembles that futuristic scenario. Yeah. How's that different? Than a, how many Major League Baseball players are there? It's 30 teams? 30 teams. 30 teams times 100? What is that? 700 and... How's that different, uh, John Height, from me plugging in uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an arbitrary uh, set of statistics applying to 700 current Major League Baseball players and then uh, running it through a computer program that uh, that I apparently invent out of whole cloth <laughs> to determine how those players will perform 10 years from now and if they're still playing. Uh, the key it's word, not. John, arbitrary. Yeah, yeah it's I, I, not. Because the whole thing is I, very arbitrary. You will ask him that same question, I hope. I, hope so so. I think explain. I will, John. Yes. I think I will. Uh, 32 uh, teams in Major League Baseball, Johnny, right? 32? Yeah, 32. 25. It's 800. This We're going to call him, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it just occurred to me. You can call him right now. I thought you said we had to wait. I I, I said we'll talk to you at uh, uh, one fifteen your time, but go ahead and give him a call if he's ready to go. Let's we'll beam go. me up on the phone line. <laughs> he's out east, obviously. And Matthew been, Fitzpatrick uh, Rook is a an ecology professor at the University of Maryland's Center for Environmental Sciences in the inconveniently enough named town Frostburg, Maryland, <laughs> which apparently will become warmer <laughs> 60 years from now. Okay, 2080 Frostburg may change its name. Visualizations that tap into our own lived experiences make a lot of sense at Oregon State University climate scientist. Uh, Kathy Dello, who wasn't part of the study and doesn't like what it shows for her region, Okay. In order to uh, maintain the integrity of GL, once we get this guest on the line, I'll be turning off my microphone <laughs> right. and removing my headphones. All right. And, well, you might uh, want to listen. You and can I'm leave your headphones. Plow on. through this crossword puzzle what, because uh, uh, I've got some things to say. Which uh, what you get a voicemail? Yeah. Are we going to be Kansas? What are we? Kansas? We're going to be Kansas. We're going to be. Is Kansas. that pleasant? Well, yeah, not in the eh, summer. Not really. A little warm. Oh, okay. Not we won't be buildings. 20 feet snowman in the Midwest at that point, like that uh, construction guy did. But rainfall is, they're saying that we'll all get more rainfall. You know, that's one of the things. Okay. Leg- uh, you know what my fear is? Reavers on the phone. That uh, he found you out? Yes. Since you talked to him about an hour ago? Well, I mean, no, I talked to him at 9 o'clock this morning. He had plenty of time to go on the interwebs and... Yeah. Look me up, but there's really nothing on the interwebs that suggests that I would be uncharitable to his kind. Right, and uh, not to mention the fact that 
if he has this There's plenty of evidence out. if you listen. Right. <laughs> what no, about your study. columns? Are they on the uh, are they on the internet? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Let's Tell us what this. you learned. Let's uh, let's take a break. Yeah. And let's break. come back with Matthew. You think How we'll reach sound? him? I think so. Okay. Let's, let's do that. All right. man who spends hours in hardware stores sifting through the nuts and bolts of life, Joe Suchet. We're joined by Matt Fitzpatrick, who is an ecology professor at the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Sciences. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you? Very good. You're getting a lot of press today, young man. Uh, your story is pretty much probably on the front page of every newspaper in the country, and that is... You have uh, used uh, computer models to come up with what cities will be experiencing 60 years from now. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, And I don't mean this uh, with any disrespect at all. Help me understand how that is science. Help me understand what you did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a... uh you know, the way that question was phrased is, is a fair point. I mean, we're not testing a hypothesis here. We're just trying to... um, present existing data in a new way that we think resonates a lot better with people. Well, in fact, there's even a website where people can go and plug in their own city and see what that city might look like 60 years from now. That's right. You looked at 12 different variables for 540 U.S. and Canadian cities under two climate change scenarios to find out what the future might feel like uh, to a regular person. Mm-hmm. And then you arrange the climate results from 27 different computer models, then found the city that most resembles that futuristic scenario. Maybe it would help me understand it if you broke it down and just explain how that would apply to, say, one city. Um, yeah, I mean, so uh, I'm going to have to use a city that, that I know best, you know, something on the East Coast. Yep. Um, so if we look at, like, Washington, D.C., when we do this under the high emission scenario, uh, Washington, D.C.'s climate in 2080 is uh, most similar to a town in northern Mississippi at the moment. Um, under the reduced emissions, it moves north a little bit, and we end up in uh, Paragould, Arkansas. All right. Uh, how do we know, for example, that the current, uh, the current location of Wichita, Kansas, how do we know that 500 years ago, that had that didn't have the climate of the present day Des Moines, Iowa. Is that a reasonable question? Yeah, I mean, you know, climate has changed over time. Um, you know, but as we go uh, back, normally we're we're encountering you know colder climates. So the fact that we're moving into much warmer, more humid climates, um, there aren't good analogs going back. In fact, there was a study that we cite um, in about the first line of the paper that just came out where they were looking at. You know, what what times in the past, deeper in the past, were the best analogs for the future climates we expect? And they have to go back really far to find those. Uh, Explain the problem you ran into with San Diego, for example, which seems to contradict the study. It it doesn't, but it seems to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a really important point here is that we're finding what we would call the best analog, but that's not the same as it being a perfect analog. And so places, um, you know, San Diego, a lot of the West Coast cities, and especially under these high emission scenarios, we see climate uh, changing in such a way that there is not actually a representative current climate anywhere in the places that we looked. 
And so we would call that climate novelty or a novel climate, and we see those being really prevalent in a lot of places by 2080 under high emissions. Uh-oh. What would St. Paul, what's forecast for Minnesota, where I live, St. Paul, Minneapolis? Um, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, and let's hope the app is up and running. We've received a lot of traffic, um, and so that hasn't been working as well as we wanted. But I'm pretty sure Minnesota, um, it ends up somewhere in the middle of the Midwest, you know, like uh, I want to say, you know, maybe Lansing, Kansas or something like that. Why Why 60 years? Was that just an arbitrary time frame? Why not 100 years or 40 years or whatever? Why 60 years? Well, you know, um, the, the details there are that we use the average of the period 2070 to 2099. So 2080s falls right in the middle of that period, and so we use 2080s just to shorten that. So we're, we're looking at the average across basically the last 30 years of the century. I'm looking here, and it says, uh, this is the Associated Press piece, in 2080, North Carolina's capital, Raleigh, could feel more like Florida's capital, Tallahassee. Now, do you know that with certainty? Well, we, we can't predict the future with certainty, and so um, what we try to do is uh, look at the variability across a large number of scenarios like we did. So for every city, we ran 54 different scenarios, and you know we can look at consistency among the outcomes and differences among the outcomes. Um, but, you know, until the future arrives, we're just using the best science we can uh, to predict what we expect. The 540 cities, on average, move 528 miles to the south in terms of climate, but that's if carbon emissions uh, keep increasing. Is that correct? Yeah, in essence, if we continue on the path we're on now, um, that, that high emission scenario um, we're generally exceeding that one, um, you know, and so that one was developed with a bunch of assumptions about, um, you know, us basically continuing the way we are in terms of energy generation, transportation, et cetera. Okay. And, and we're, we're, we've been exceeding that one. All right. But it's, you also note it, that if the world cuts back, presumably meaning cutting back on emissions, the cities move on an average of 319 miles. That's right. It's clearly shows uh, the large impact that uh, reducing emissions can have on the amount of climate change we're expected to experience. How much would you have to cut back to only move 319 miles? Um, yeah, I don't, you know, those uh, those uh, scenarios are complicated. There's a lot that goes into them. So you're, you're talking name. to a dummy, by the way. They, they strike me as terribly complicated. Yeah, they're, well, they're complicated to me as well. You know, I'm just a simple ecologist. Um, so... Yeah, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do know that emissions peak under that scenario in about 2040, and they decline thereafter. But there's a lot that goes into those. It's not just emissions. It's, you know, all sorts of other factors. What if we screw this up and uh, get rid of so many emissions that 60 years from now, St. Paul might as well be on the Arctic Circle? I, I, don't mean, I don't even mean that facetiously. No. I, you know, we're already dialed into a fair amount of warming that we're beginning to experience. So even if we cut emissions to, you know, wherever it would need to be so they don't rise anymore, um, we're still going to see a fair amount of climate change. Um, so I think, you know, the risks of uh, continuing to pump emissions into the atmosphere are much, much greater than the risks of, of cutting the emissions. Okay, another question I don't mean facetiously. I need to, I need your help in understanding it. Mm-hmm. What happened 10,000 years ago? There wasn't a Lake Superior 10,000 years ago. Yeah, so, you know, the climate changes uh, that occurred during the last ice age, 
um, are, are pretty well understood. We have a really good understanding of the climate system. And a lot of those changes are directly related to the amount of solar radiation that was coming into the planet um, as a result of changes in the orbital cycle of the Earth around the sun. So, you know, how close the sun was, uh, or how close the Earth was to the sun at uh, different times of the year, and how, uh, you know, the angle at which the Earth uh, was uh, slanted towards the sun, you know, the seasonal uh, variation in that. And so all of that is associated with the, the time, uh, the climates that we saw during the last ice ages. All right. I, I have a question for you, Matthew. My question is, what percentage do you believe is nature and what percentage is man-made as far as climate change goes? Well, I think, um, you know, uh, from what I've read, and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit on, on thin ice, no pun intended here, because I'm not super familiar with those, but you're asking me what I believe. So I think what I've read recently is that, um, you know, we really should be in a cooling trend here. You know, that, that was uh, what a small group of scientists were thinking in the 70s, is that we were going into global cooling. And looking at the long-term records, you know, that, that's why they thought that. And so, you know, I think it's been shown and argued that the human signal has swamped that cooling signal. And so we're actually, in some ways, contributing more than 100 percent to the warming. You sound to me like a fellow with an open mind. Is that a fair statement? I try to be the best scientist I can, right? We're all human. We all have opinions. But um, I try to be, uh, you know, look at the data and use reason and logic to come to uh, what the data um, are telling us. Okay. I I wish more people would do that. Okay. Let's say in 1850, uh, ecologists, uh, they probably hadn't been branded as such by then, but let's say in 1850, ecologists had current technology. Let's say they had computers and whatnot. Couldn't they, have, couldn't they have come up with the same studies that showed the changes from uh, 1820, and then they could have predicted what things are going to be like in 1880, which is a long way for me uh, asking you, what if nothing's going on? What if this is just the natural rhythm of nature? Um, well, the evidence is quite clear that this is beyond the natural rhythm of nature. You know, we can run climate models and we can make predictions of what climate would be um, if we didn't put in the forcing of, uh, you know, human, uh, the human forcing from emissions. And the models don't predict warming unless we include the emissions in there. And there's lots of other evidence that this is well beyond what we'd, we'd consider from a natural cycle. I mean, if you boil it down, right, the, the climate system is super complex, but ultimately over long periods of time, um, there are really two things that matter. It's the amount of solar radiation coming in, and there's the amount that goes out. And when we put a blanket on the Earth, there's less going out. Um, and, you know, this, you, you mentioned 1850. Well, there was someone working on this, uh, Arrhenius, in, you know, the late 1800s that came to the conclusion that if we keep pumping CO2 into the atmosphere, we are going to warm the planet. So it's, this has been known for over 100 years. Are you... Am I to believe that a computer model constitutes evidence? Well, it doesn't uh, necessarily constitute um, observational evidence, but it is a hypothesis, and we can use those to test hypotheses. Like you know, like I said, we can go back uh, four hundred thousand years and see how the climate system has responded to variation in solar inputs and CO two in the atmosphere. 
What observations can a citizen like myself make? I'm not a scientist. What observations? Because I would say, you know, I've been around for a half, more than a half a century, and I don't notice anything different. What What am I missing? Um, are your eyes open? Yes, and I even just had cataract surgery. <laughs> and, and you haven't noticed any changes over the last several decades? No, I have not. Huh. Well, I... I, I I'm not sure what to tell you. Uh, go out and start taking some some measurements or look at some long-term data sets that very clearly show warming trends. And you know, this isn't just climate responding. These are natural systems. Like they're they're responding in ways consistent with warming. You know, earlier flowering of plants and trees, uh, earlier arrival of birds. Um, they're all responding to this warming signal. I'll tell you something I have done, and I, I, I think I did it aesthetically. I didn't realize that I might have been performing an act of science. For about 10 years, and that's not a long time, I've taken a picture on the exact day when my lilacs bloom mm-hmm. on, on the western edge of my property. I've showed you guys these pictures. Yep. That, that hasn't changed in uh, 10 years. It's always about May 24th. I can explain to you why that is. All right. Lilac is a very interesting um, example, right? It, lilac is basically a, a single clone, right? There are different varieties, but they're basically a single clone. So they're not, um, you know, that's not their native habitat. So they're outside of where they came from. And so they're responding due to a very strong genetic signal, is my understanding of lilac. But lilacs were around when I was a kid in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how they're out of their element. They've been here as long as I have. Yes, but they're not natively here. They haven't adapted to the climate that they're currently planted in. Sure, they can live there, but they weren't. They didn't evolve in that climate. All right. How, another question I'm just curious about: When you release your study, how do you get it to uh, to attract so much attention? I, I think it's fascinating that that so many papers have covered this particular study. How, what do you do? Do you just release it in a press release, for example? Yeah, I mean, you know, we um, we didn't expect this response. I expected it to get some attention, but certainly not uh, to the the degree that it did. Um, the journal puts out its own press release. It's a well-known journal, and so a lot of uh, reporters are looking at that press release, and they happen to highlight this paper, and it went viral, as they say. Yeah, the journal you're talking about is Nature Communications. That's right. Do you write for them? Well, as scientists, we write papers, and we send them to the best journal we can, um, and so, you know, we're not paid by, in fact, we have to pay to publish. I'm not sure if you know that or not. I did not know that. Yeah, so we had to pay, um, you know, a large sum of money to publish there um, just because of the, the nature of that journal and, and its scope and the number of readers. Um, yeah, so no, I don't write for them. I just write papers and we try to get them published where most people uh, that are interested in that topic are going to get to see it. Uh, you say you have a 12-year-old daughter. Yeah. Do you fear for her future? I don't know that I, I don't know if I'd go to the point of fear, but I would say that, um, you know, there's going to be a very dramatic transformation of climate. Um, and she's going to have to live with that. And so is everyone in her generation. And that's going to have economic effects. It's going to have social effects. Um, and, you know, we, we're lucky we live in a, a country where um, we might be a little bit buffered from that, given the nature of our climate um, and that sort of thing. You know, in this part of the world, as you well know, uh, 
uh, it's a big deal for us to keep track of when the uh, when the lakes go ice free, mm-hmm. and that hasn't changed much. The average ice out date hasn't changed since uh, I don't know the middle of the nineteenth century. Well, I don't have those data in front of me, so I can't comment on that. Um, I would find that hard to believe, but um, I'm happy to see the paper that has those data. Yeah, just DNR. I mean, I just go on the DNR website, and mm-hmm. there's various lakes they keep track of. The earliest ice out date uh, Lake was Lake Mille Lacs. I'm looking at Lake Mille Lacs. The, uh, the median ice out date is April 25th. The earliest ice out was March 26, 2012. Latest was May 18th, 2013. Mm-hmm. And this is a period of time between 1950 to 2018. So in, in 2013, as recently as 2013, we had our latest ice out date. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, any good scientist will tell you we're not saying it's always going to be warmer. You know, it's like think of a swimming pool where the surface of the pool is going up and down. You know, some points are high and some points are low. Climate change is we're dumping more water in the pool. It's still going to go up and down, but overall the level's going up. Um, you know, the other thing I would say is, like, what portion of the earth do you think Minnesota covers, right? We're talking about global climate change. So just because there's a single weather event or a cold year or it's cold where you live doesn't mean that uh, it's not happening. Right. Matt Fitzpatrick, thank you very much for your time. You I bet. Appreci- My pleasure. I appreciate your joining us. Thank you very much. Yep, bye-bye. All right, take care. It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Souchere. Hey, wait a, wait a minute. Did I misstate those uh, ice out dates to Matt? Um, the earliest and latest ice out date for what lake, Kenny? We were looking at Malax. For Malax, since 1950, the earliest ice out date and the latest ice out date are separated by one year. Yeah, the earliest was 2012, the latest was 2013. It's a cycle, and he couldn't really. He didn't have that in his defense. He didn't have any information on Minnesota uh, ice out dates to uh, to comment on that. But but I mean, the the reason I went to that website is because he kind of chastised you, um, you know, for not being uh, observant. You know, open your eyes, look around you. You trotted the most out curious person I know. You trotted out the uh, tulips <laughs> or whatever. Lilacs. Yeah, whatever tulips. the hell. Um, and that, and I started thinking about. Well, wait a minute, ice out. Remember a couple of years ago. When we didn't have a fishing opener on a lot of lakes because there was still ice right, on it. Right. And what occurred to me talking to this fellow, and he was very kind to join us, and I have no doubt that he knows what he's talking about, but it occurred to me that I, off the top of my head, I cannot think of another discipline where you can get away with so many qualifying verbs. Uh, a doctor can't say, well, you you might have cancer. Uh, uh, I have some studies that show that that's probable that right. you could. No, what a doctor is going to do is determine if you have it. It'll, there'll be no questions left. And in- a lawyer can't go into the court and say, judge, I don't know, I... I kind of like this client I have. I, I realize he's been accused of bludgeoning his neighbor to death with a frying pan. Okay, but I, I'm I'm Ow. not. I I have studies that, that show that that's not entirely possible. Uh, I can't think of another discipline where uh, 
you are cut so much slack. That'd be a way to put it. Okay, but then also fast forward to 2080 when none of us are here. No. Uh, how uh, there's no verification or oh, oh, it came through, it came true. Yeah, I've often said I wish I could live long enough to to see this proven for what it is. And again, in Matthew Fitzpatrick's, in fairness to him, I do not at all suspect that he's part of some conspiratorial uh, cabal uh, driven by the likes of uh, Alexandria Occasional Cortex Mm -hmm. to uh, (laughs) radically transform the United States. I don't think that's what he's up to. He's a committed ecology professor. Plug in stuff into software and it spit this out. But if I took classes from him, my head would be spinning because I wouldn't be able to to follow it. it Did anybody learn anything? No, it, and, and I, not I to know. demean this, not to demean. He was very kind. He could have looked me up on the interwebs and chosen to abandon us. He didn't. Did anyone learn anything yes, from this? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, before we had him on, I was desperately trying to call him, and I have now learned that you cannot write the number eight. I can't. Uh, I've <laughs> lost the ability to write a three and an eight. I didn't learn anything, Sue. It, it, it kind of just reinforced what you and I talked about before we started taping and it's why i chose to sit out and i'm grateful that, that you did. uh the the whole computer model and the whole thing he's creating science to prove his already existing beliefs and i and then this whole computer program to me is is malarkey well it wasn't a computer program no it, it was it was I, I, I it was all listen <laughs> Fitzpatrick looked at 12 different variables for 540 U.S. and Canadian cities under two climate change scenarios to find out what a future might feel like in a way a regular person might understand. He averaged the climate results from 27 different computer models, then found the city that most resembles that futuristic scenario. I asked him, and he answered the question, is that science? To me, it's not. And he didn't necessarily say yes no he was a good he was a good guy yeah. i'm glad he was on I, there, no this i was shocked let me let me finish my thought where i i don't think he gets up in the morning and rubs his hands together and says you know i'm going to be part of the crowd that wants to radically transform this country i don't think we should have any airline travel i think we should have high-speed trains i think we should get to zero emissions cars should be abolished none of us should have furnaces and air conditioning i don't think he's that guy at all what is he? <laughs> oh, because he plays. What, yeah, he what, plays. What? He provides exactly the kinds of information that the conspirators do want but and use. Anybody can use that type of data, those type of numbers, to fit whatever their own personal belief is. But don't you them, think? But again, I don't think he believes. He said he's not fearful for his twelve-year-old. No, but he said he does believe that the Earth is warming. Yeah. He did uh, say his percentages that a couple of times. were high when I said what percentage was nature versus man-made. His man-made was way well, up there. over 100%, right. I said, actually. I was shocked by that. I thought he'd say 20%, but nature is still—you you can't deny that nature is going to go whatever course Plus, it's going where, to. where I really was confused, and that's my fault, not his, uh, where I was really confused is the explanation of how Lake Superior came into being. I, I didn't. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the angles of the sun and the counterclockwise revolution mm-hmm. of the flangular joists mm-hmm. and the two half-ton <laughs> ratchets on a reciprocating Harkins block. I, I, I don't. I didn't, valve. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't deal. get that at all. Um, I you just, know what we need? We need an asteroid. <laughs> what? <Wow. laughs> 
<laughs> no, think about it. Think about it. It's going to back us up. Yep. It's going to reset everything at there zero. We go. We're going to start over. Plus, so we I can rack an, up credit card debt. We need to an answer. for it. Well, and plus, plus, really, it's it's hard for me to believe because he doesn't know, and he admitted he didn't know. Okay, so at the current rate of uh, emitting uh, emissions. Uh, in 60 years, cities will move about 528 miles to the south oh, in terms of their weather. But if we if we cut back on the use of the fossil fuels, we'll get her down to 319 miles. There we go. Well, how much cut back? They don't know. <laughs> what do you want? Well, and how do you know? There's your question. What do you want the temperature to oh, be? We I know want... what the answer is for Such. He wants to. He doesn't want to move, but he wants to play golf year round. Absolutely, right. that's the answer. Can you do that in Kansas? So, yeah, I think what you can. What do I got to do to get my city to only move? 222 miles. Yes. Yeah. Right. Hey, Doc, yes. how do we get San Iowa. Diego's weather? Right. Come on up. <laughs> no, San Diego, ironically, That's is true. the only city in the study that They're gets going screwed. Up. They're going north. Right. 120 miles north. Yeah. I don't buy any of it. It's that I'm not saying that Matthew Fitzpatrick misled me or that he's lying or anything. That's not what I'm saying. I just don't buy the gibberish. I just don't buy it. I, I, but you acknowledge it's getting warmer. I don't acknowledge it is getting warmer. You don't acknowledge global warming. I don't. No, no, I don't. It's a, whatever. What, we don't know what cycle it is right I now. I don't have it, it, the ice age came through, froze everything, then everything melted. Where are we now? We're in between. I don't deny the climate changes. I do not deny that. Okay. Now, as to whether it's getting warmer or cooler, uh, I. He said, "Man, open your eyes." Well, I have, and I. Yeah, that's I what, can't sense that it, things are terribly warmer than they were 50 years ago. Yes, that's what stuck with me, and that's why I looked at the ice out things. I would like proof from Minnesota, I don't know, scientists or believers, Kool-Aid drinkers, I don't care what you call yourself, proof. Show me what has changed in my lifetime in this state. And, well, the answer will be uh uh, increased severity of particular weather events, uh, for example, flooding. Uh, but we don't know. Uh, uh, the Red River's always been flooded. Red River's always flooded. The Missouri uh, always floods. Uh, Mississippi used to flood, but now we control it so much it doesn't. It, uh, it rarely does. They, but they would say weather extremes. Well, I haven't noticed weather extremes. We've been remarkably tornado-free, generally speaking, for example. Well, what does weather extremes mean? Why does a weather extreme flood a, a river because there's a whole bunch of snowfall or rainfall. I I don't understand what weather extremes I don't, are. Well, you don't because, however unconsciously you're aware of it, you're accepting of the natural rhythms of nature. Right. And uh, you know we got a really a lot of snow right now. Yeah. And it, probably that's going to result in some flooding this spring. It usually does. Yeah, usually that's winter. And it was ridiculously cold 2 weeks but ago. But the difference that is happens. 65 years ago, 70 years ago, the guy uh, would come on the TV in a very primitive weather set and that would not have been called an example of extreme climate change. Today uh, this spring, it, we all know uh-huh. that if there's flooding down in uh, southeastern Minnesota, it will be called an unusual weather event brought about yeah. by climate change. Yeah. No, it, we had a hell of a lot of snow in February. Armistice Day blizzard. Yeah we, yeah, we might set a record for snowfall in February this year. And and I'm not, 
I never fall into the trap of saying, see, there can't be global warming because right. look at how much snow we have right. on the ground. Okay, President Trump. No, no, no. It's just, it's winter. It's winter. But the narrative driving the country, it, it, the narrative driving the country is that that everything now is presented as an example of hysteria. I'm, a, I'm going to exclude Fitzpatrick from that. Because I have no business, I don't know what his politics are, uh, but I thought it I thought it enlightening to talk to that guy, and he was he was a good guy to talk to. Mm-hmm. But I didn't learn anything. I'm I'm fairly open minded. If he, he had something, he, he could have turned me around. Right. If he said this it, here, it's a X, Y, and Z. And here's the concrete evidence. Here's say, what you need to okay, know, Joe. On this date, this happened, and today, this is going to happen. And that, I can prove to you, how do you prove? Well, here, I'll show you my equation that proves it. He could have had me. He could have turned me around. I'm not a Neanderthal. Are you opposed to solar and or wind-generated uh, electricity? Am I? Yeah, are you no, opposed to no, that? No, not at all. If it works. I, if I, wind I, energy works, but right, right a now. great big... Windmill on 169, that thing couldn't power a toaster. Because what I'm seeing in the future is us as a country and a world spending a lot of money to replace perfectly good things that already work, what they call fossil fuel uh, generated electricity. Maybe it's that simple, Kenny. Maybe it's follow the money. Uh, Maybe there are billionaires out there who figure this is the next... The next economic wave, the, the economic wave of the future, the global economic wave of the future is yeah. how can I make money yeah. selling you a solar panel? Okay, Don't but, you see the syntax coming? Sure. Because I drive this big truck, I'm going to be paralyzed? Carbon, uh, that's all carbon credits are. Is, what's the Catholic Church term for that? Uh, indulgences, indul- indulgences. Yeah. indulgences. Hey, 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 Bishop, here's a hundred bucks. I'm going to go see this right. hooker. Down so the guys that are in, the guys that are in business for themselves, they drive a big three, uh, you know, like a Ford F three fifty. They're pulling a twenty five foot trailer with a, a backhoe on the back. They're trying to make a living, doing the best they can. They're going to be syntaxed to death. Because they have to drive and use this equipment to do their jobs. Not if the likes of uh, Alexandria Occasional she, Cortex gets she's away. She's going to have us out there with shovels in our hands. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. can't dig in sewer systems with shovels. Nope. Did they study the way they built the railroad across America? We don't do that anymore. No, no. It's, Much it's, less it'd be very difficult to take a train to Sweden. Oh yeah, or <laughs> Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, wasn't it? Weren't we going to build a rail across the uh, the I Atlantic? Sh- uh, it, uh, we're drifting. We're drifting. Oh, yes, we are. We're drifting. We all know that. But no, we're talking the money. Right. That's right. what we're talking. Right. Right. And you're right. I think we need to follow the money. Well, I'll tell you what. You want to go someplace and get treated straight? You go to Federated Insurance. They know that one size doesn't fit everyone. That's why Federated Mutual Insurance Company tailors its insurance programs to individual businesses, your needs, property and casualty, life and disability income. Uh, Their marketing reps get to know you and your business, and that's why they can customize the coverage you need. Driving, they got you covered. Uh, Cyber attacks, they'll talk to you about that. They've got compromise coverage, data compromise coverage. Your business is unique. You need an insurance carrier who treats it that way. Get in touch with a Federated Insurance Marketing Rep to see how their second-to-none service can help your business thrive. 
Federated Insurance. It's their business to protect yours. All right, that'll wrap up this portion of the Garage Logic podcast. Check us out online at garagelogic.com. The features drop down. You can see what the latest cartoon is from Greg Holcomb and what's on Joe's bookshelf. And if you can flip over to Apple iTunes, why don't you give us a rating? Good, bad, or indifferent. We'll check it out. Garagelogic.com. Thanks. We got more coming up. Don't go away.